if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to Genesis chapter 29. And I, I think, without a doubt, you have the best pastors in the entire world. And uh, those are absolute facts. Can you guys give it up for your pastors, Jabin and Shannon? I love you guys very much. And all those things you said about me and all that back at you. Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to start in verse 31. We're jumping into kind of a big story. Uh, this is right after uh, Jacob has been married to Leah and Rachel. It's the Old Testament. It's a little strange. But uh, this story is a massive story in Scripture. And Jacob is married to these two different women because his father-in-law tricked him into marrying one of them. And then he worked for him for a few more years, and he got the one that he really wanted. So now they're married, and now we're in this situation where Leah, who didn't want to be in this marriage, she, was, she finds herself in an extremely difficult situation, is struggling. And this is what the Bible says in Genesis 29 and 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless, and Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, or she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. So surely my husband will love me now. And then she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth, somebody said, "Mm." (laughs) again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. And then she conceived again. What kind of what kind of pace is this, by the way? Like, I just want to know, like, is this like back to back to back to back? Goodness. So she says this one, this one, this time she says. I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then my favorite verse in this whole story. Then she stopped having children. Can all the ladies in the room say, thank you, Jesus. Like, that's the end of that. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for your word. We're asking over these next few moments you would speak clearly to us. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in this room and online. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. And Everybody said amen. In this story, something that's very common with all of us, not all of us have had children in this uh, manner, but the, the common theme for all of us in this story is, is her desire, Leah's desire, to be seen, to be heard, and to be connected. Everybody in this room has that same desire, whether you're an extrovert and you're a party animal and you just like to be the center of attention, or you're an inter- introvert like me and you don't go to parties, Not because you don't really want to go to parties. You kind of want to go to parties, but you don't go because you want people to notice you're not there. Like you still want to be seen, (laughs) heard, (laughs) and connected. Please love me. Somebody text me and ask me where I am. I don't really like crowds, but if, if, if I did, I wish people would notice that. You know what I'm saying? So like everybody has this same desire to be seen, to be heard, and to be connected. And, and one of the things that it does is it will drive insecure people to do very dangerous things. It will drive insecure people to overcommit, to overstate, to overperform, to get out of the pace that God has for their life. It'll cause us to do stuff that looks like a virtue, but it's actually dysfunctional. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like in Exodus 18 when the Bible says Moses, he was, he, was, he was literally overseeing all of the issues of God's people. His father-in-law comes to him one day and he says, hey man, how's it going? He says, it's going pretty good. And you know, every, every day people are bringing me their issues and I'm working through all of their issues. And he looks at him and he says, this is not a healthy thing for you. This is going to wear you out, and this is going to wear everybody else around you out. So he says you need to start to delegate because Moses was doing something that seemed like a virtue, but it was dysfunctional. He was overcommitted. He was overcommitted. Why? Because brokenness doesn't always show up in immoral behavior. And I think very often we come to church and we, we focus so much on immorality but, but I think some of our biggest problems are not immoral issues. They're actually things that look like virtues that are actually dysfunctional behavior. Ah, can somebody say amen? Because having a bunch of kids, man, that seems moral. But it's actually dysfunctional because of why she's doing it. Man, I love this. I love this story because it helps me understand that I don't have to produce to be loved. I don't have to produce to have value. As a matter of fact, my value isn't connected to the things I produce. My value is connected to the God who said he loved me forever before I ever did anything for him. As a matter of fact, even for Jesus, God said while he was being baptized, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That was before Jesus ever performed a miracle. That was before he died on the cross. He said, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Is there anybody in the room thankful today that God is crazy in love with you before you ever produce anything for him? I love this. And so I love the shift of her focus because for so many of us over this past year, we've had to shift our focus, whether it was in your business or, or, or now you're a, you're a homeschool parent. Praise the Lord. I, I didn't realize, you know, I went through all that school and I said, I don't need this math. I don't need I don't need science. I don't need any of this stuff. I just, I'm just going to be a preacher. And then all of a sudden I had children and I sent them to school, but now they sent them back to me and I need science and I need math and I need all that stuff. And I forgot all of it. Is anybody struggling? Help me. Jesus. I prayed, Lord, just, just, just let them not be too stupid. Like, just like, it's like not too bad. Help me, Jesus. And so, so, so she shifts her focus. And so for so many of us, we've had to shift our focus. I love it. She's gone through so much until she gets to this point where she's like, you know what? I'm just going to praise God. I don't know about you, but if I've decided anything over this past year, I'm just going to praise God. Like when it's good, when it's bad, when I'm high, when I'm low. When money's good, when money's bad, when the job's good, when the, job's, when the marriage is good, when the marriage is bad, when the kids are good, when the kids are bad, when the church is good, when the church is bad, I'm just going to praise God. As a matter of fact, maybe for just a couple seconds, we can put our hands together and just bless the Lord right now. Maybe online you can stand up in your kitchen or your living room or just give God some prayer. I have decided I'm going to praise the Lord. A lot has happened, but... I made a decision. I'm going to praise God. I love her decision because she she takes her focus off of Jacob's irresponsibility and puts it on God's responsibility. And, And I love Henry Cloud said this. I love this statement. He said, they can be the people in your life. They can be irresponsible and happy. And you can be responsible and miserable because you are taking responsibility for their irresponsibility. 
And so she's, she's trying to use what she produces to be accepted. She didn't believe she was enough. So she thinks, man, if I'll produce something lovely, I'll be lovely. If I produce something of value, I'll have value. But I, wanted, I came all the way from Tennessee to tell you this. You can do miracles and still people will not see your value. They did it to Jesus. And it wasn't just the outsiders. It was his own brothers. In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, the Bible says this. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. And he wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. That seems like a good idea, right? Trying to kill me there? Probably shouldn't go there. Verse 2. But soon as it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus' brothers said to him, Hey, let's leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Why? Because you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For not even his own brothers believed in him. You you can be a miracle working God from heaven and still people won't believe in you. Sometimes your own family. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So Jesus replies. Somebody's like, yeah, amen. That's a truth. And they're sitting right beside you. That's probably not a good time to laugh. But Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go. But you guys can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because of it being evil. So you go on. I'm not going because my time has not come. How many of you in this room know your time? Know your season? Know when it's your day? Because if you don't, you'll be doing so many things, putting yourself in dangerous situations just so that you can prove that you matter. Verse 9 says, so after saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. See, this desire to be seen, to be heard, and to be connected, it's given to you by God. That desire is not abnormal, but it it can become dysfunctional if we put those, those desires in the wrong people and in the wrong places. And what it does to us is it, it does just about three different things. First of all, it causes us to operate at a pace that isn't the grace that God has set for our life. Notice the Bible says she conceived again. We're talking about Leah and she, she gives birth to a son. And then, then by the time all of this has happened, she's at the end. She says, I will praise the Lord. So she names him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Notice that when she, when she see, because for us, listen, praise Prayer, spiritual things, sometimes are our last resort when they should be our first response. For her, praise was her last response. But for us, we've got this story in front of us to teach us that let's let Judah be the first one. Let's let praise be the first one. So I don't get an uncontrollable pace in my life. Sometimes you need to just slow down. Build in margins in your life. You just need to be able to say, it's not my time. One of, the, one of the greatest words I've ever learned in my entire life is this word. It's the shortest word you can think of. It's this word, no. No. You coming? No. You going to be there? No. You going to do that? No. Oh, man, I love that word because what that word has helped me realize is I used to only rest when I was exhausted. And when I'm exhausted, it's too late because that puts me in a position where praise is my last response when praise must be my first. What I found out is that 
most people don't take vacations because vacations give them anxiety. <laughs> Just the thought of leaving your responsibilities for a week freaks you out. That's not a healthy pace for your life. And if you get nervous and you get anxious because you're, you're, you need a vacation or you need to go somewhere, or you need to take a break, then your value, your worth is coming from the wrong things. It's coming from the wrong place. If taking a break from work fills you with anxiety, your work has become your identity. If taking a break from your children fills you with anxiety, then your children have become your identity. Seems like a virtue. I can't leave my kid. I can't. And, and your marriage is suffering and time with your wife is suffering. And but I, just, I just need to be there for my your kids will be OK. You know, what I found out they're going to fall and bust their head whether I'm around or not. They're going to make dumb mistakes whether I'm around or not. I, I've been in town and out of town and my kids have been just as stupid when I'm in town as they've been when I've been out of town. You know why I decided I'm going to save my marriage. I'm going to leave those jokers home for a few days. And I'm going to trust God. When, 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 my, when, when Chloe was really little, we were, we were living in this place, and her room was so far away from us, and it was on the first floor. And I used to have these dreams of somebody just, like, breaking in the window and just taking her at night. Couldn't sleep. And then God spoke to me one time, and he says, are you a better parent than me? I said, well, I don't know. No, I mean, you're living like you are. You're acting like you are. He said, she belonged to me before she ever belonged to you. So I had to learn how to trust God with his kids because they belong to him. See, I'm just the steward. I'm just the steward of a gift from God. And so I had to learn, God, you're a better dad than I am. You're a better provider than I am. They, they, their life is in your hands. You have a purpose and you have a plan for them. You're protecting them when I'm not watching over them. You can keep them safe. So God, I, I trust you with my kids. It's amazing, isn't, isn't it, that the, the command the Bible takes the most time to explain is the command about rest? It's the longest of all of them. The command to rest is the longest. He takes the most time to explain it because it's the one we would suffer with keeping the most. And we struggle with it because we don't know what it looks like. For some of us, we think, we think oh, to, to take a break, that's lazy. To, to, and, and for some of you, you, you don't need a vacation. You don't need a nap. You just need, you just need to put things in proper order. And some of you are thinking you can fix stuff by just going away. And it doesn't fix anything. As a matter of fact, you get back and you're more tired from the vacation. You ever needed a vacation from a vacation? That's why when your kids are little, I just, I encourage you, like, they're not going to remember Disney. Like, we take them, we spend all this money, and we, and we put the hats on them, and, and, and we go, and, and we take them, and we go, we go to Florida in July. And it's 95 degrees. And they're in their strollers and they're, they're, they're dying of heat exhaustion. And we're like, isn't this fun? The happiest place on earth. And they're, they're struggling and suffering. And we're looking at each other like, why are we here? What are we doing? We spent thousands of dollars. 
And I get home from vacation. I'm like, my God, I need a vacation from the vacation. Sometimes I don't need a vacation. No, I'm just messing. That's, that's an exaggeration. Go to Disney World if you want to. I'm just saying, when they're little, it's hell on earth. It's not, it's not happiest place on earth. <laughs> I'm just saying. In Florida, especially. <laughs> but sometimes you don't need, need a vacation. You, you don't need a, a nap. Remember, Jesus came to his disciples, and they were falling asleep and unable to pray. They didn't need a nap. They needed to pray. Jesus was trying to remind them of the thing that was most important, most valuable. And, and you're tired. Maybe, maybe you're tired not because you need to get away. Maybe you, need, maybe you need to get away, but you need to get away with God. You need to make that relationship that first priority. Even Jesus did it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, it says, Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw, think about that, to desolate places and pray. Jesus. Mark 1 and 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Mark 6 and 46 says, After he had taken leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. I think it's an interesting thing that the, the story of the disciples, when they're, they're in, the, in the middle of the storm, and they're rowing the boat, and they're pushing against the wind and the waves, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes walking on the water. I think it's an interesting thing that they're struggling in a boat to get through this wind and these waves, and Jesus just comes strolling on the water. Well, the, the interesting thing about that story is that Jesus had just come from the mountain praying. Now, here they are. They're struggling, rowing, pushing against the wind. Maybe they're struggling because they're trying to do what Jesus does without doing what Jesus did. Maybe the struggle in the middle of what you're going through is that you didn't pray first. Maybe, this, maybe the struggle in the middle of what you're going through is that you didn't praise God first. Maybe you jumped into it and you thought, man, I'll just, I got this. I'll push again. I'll just use my strength. You know, I've been, I've been working out. I've got this. I've got my endurance. But, and you realize I'm not strong enough to do this. And then Peter, Jesus invites him to get out of the boat and he's walking on water and he stinks. Why? Because again, Peter's trying to do what Jesus did without doing what Jesus does. And I see a lot of people in church trying to do what Jesus did, but they refuse to do what Jesus did. Oh, man, isn't that, isn't that a good thought? So I've got a pace that God has set for my life. And for Jesus, prayer, praise, these things were not just something that he did to just teach us. No, for Jesus even. These were spiritual necessities. He wasn't escaping his responsibilities, but he was focusing on the most important one, guarding his most important relationships. And then pressure. If we're not careful, when, when we're insecure, when we're driven and motivated by accomplishment or performance or trophies or houses or cars or notoriety or fame, or if we're not careful, pressure will destroy us. Jesus felt extreme pressure. If you read through scripture, Jesus never ran anywhere. He's not like, hey, hey, I'm sorry, I got, I got to. He's, he's never, he's, he's never. I tell people all the time, maybe it isn't what you're doing that's giving you anxiety. Maybe it's how you're doing it. Because think about this. A lot of people like, 
they show up to church and they're just barely getting in the parking lot and they're cussing each other out on the way in the car. And then they're like just dragging the kids out and they're like slicking down their hair and spitting in their hand. And they're just like, and they just walk in the door and then you're like, how are you? And they're like, blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And you're not, you've, you've struggled all morning. You've had a freak out meltdown. Maybe, the, maybe going to church is not what's giving you anxiety. Maybe it's how you're doing it. Maybe you need to wake up a little bit earlier. Maybe you wouldn't lose your cool in traffic if you would have left the house a little bit earlier. You know what I'm talking about? And so very often, a lot of our anxieties are self-induced. We do it to ourselves. And we're like, I'm just so busy. I'm just so overwhelmed. No, no, you wouldn't. If you just wake up maybe 15 minutes earlier, if you just put a little bit more preparation in. And so we get, we fall, we fall prey to pressure. In John chapter 7, the disciples are like, Jesus, you got to go. You got to prove yourself. Wow. He said, I can't. They're trying to kill me there. Wow. It's not my time. I love this because that external pressure that people put on us to do stuff that we're not called to do, to be something that we're not called to be, to say stuff that we don't want to say. Oh, man, have you felt that in this season? Man, as a pastor, I've, I've, I've felt like I felt like there are some people who, who have told me and said to me and said, man, you're saying too much during all of it. Whether it's been from the injustice issue to, to, to the election to whatever, to the pandemic, you're saying too much. And somebody else will come along. You're not saying enough. It's like, do this, do that. And if you're insecure, you'll try to please everybody until you please nobody and you don't even know who you are. While you're trying to gain the whole world, while you're trying to get everybody to love you, you're losing yourself. And God is like, I, I, I love pressure, but I, the way I use pressure is not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. I'm trying to work things out of you. I'm not trying to put something on you, a burden, a, a weight that you weren't created to carry. And people will do that. And if you're not careful, you'll carry all this stuff like I should have I done and I didn't. And trying to make everybody happy and you end up making nobody happy and you end up losing who you are. And if you're not careful, your life will end up being run by people who don't even believe in you anyway. Jesus, go. And his own brothers didn't even believe in him. Prove yourself. Show them. And his own brothers didn't believe in him. Man, I don't want to live like that. I want to, I want to respond correctly to, to pressure. They said, I love this because especially in our society where everybody wants to be famous, we were just talking about TikTok in the back, and, and, and it's incredible, isn't it? They said, Jesus, if you want to be known, you can't hide like this. this is, if you want to be known, you got you to gotta, you gotta grind harder than this. You got to go at it harder than this. You got to kill it harder than this. You got to stay up. You got to stay up till 3 a.m. You got to go get it. Team no sleep. Do you know You got to show them. And Jesus is like, I'm good. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, there's a word that described Jesus. He, he said, he used it to describe himself. He said, I'm lowly. I love that word because it, it means not rising far from the ground. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be known or want you to have influence or want you to have success. He just wants you to have the right type of influence and the right type of success. Success that doesn't cost you your soul. Success that doesn't cost you your sleep. 
Success that doesn't make you dysfunctional. That's the kind he wants. So a person that is lowly isn't bothered by being incognito, isn't bothered by being anonymous, underestimated, unappreciated. Jesus was never concerned with impressing people or building a name for himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus tried to keep a low profile. Like he would heal people and be like, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Today, if we did that, we'd be like, go let everybody know. Oh, by the way, here's my business card. Prophet to the nations. Just wanted you. (laughs) Healer of the body. Just just let them know. We'd get a website. (laughs) But Jesus is like, I'm not concerned with that. I love this other thing that Jesus never did. Jesus was never really concerned about fixing the way people thought about him. When he was falsely accused, he wasn't out there trying to fix his reputation. Look at us. Look at us. Somebody says something about us on Facebook. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, I'm going to get them back so bad. And then somebody posts something about us on Instagram. Even if they don't mention us, we're like, I know they're talking about me. Isn't that your favorite thing people do? They post. They don't even tag you in it or talk to you. But you know, I know. I know that's about me. And here we are. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. How much time do we spend trying to get people back? Trying to fix our reputation. Jesus is like, I, I don't have time for that. I've got, I've, really, I've got a mission that requires my focus. I've got a mission that requires that I'm rested. I, I, got, I got a mission. And, and all this is connected to, to performance. If we live life to perform, and we get caught up in the wrong pace, we get caught up in anxiety that pressure can bring. And I, love, I love Psalm 23 because it says a, a lot of good things. It, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want, and, and all of that. But it gets to this part where it says, I love this. It says, oh my, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love that thought because a lot of us are so busy trying to get God to take out our enemies. But God would rather you just sit right down make you a meal. He would, he would rather you have the pace that says, I'm just going to sit down right in the middle of all of my men and my enemies and just eat this food that God has prepared for my life. I love this because God said, I don't have to take your enemies out. Watch what I'll do. I'll make them watch me bless you. I know they didn't like the post, but they saw it. They saw it. I got people that watch every week online. They don't want, they don't, they don't like me, but they watch me. They watch me sit and eat every Sunday morning. They watch me sit and do the thing they said I'd never be able to do. Every morning they have to sit and watch God bless me. So I don't have to worry about my enemies. God's got me. So why would I operate under some sort of Performance mindset. Well, I think the main reason we do that is because it doesn't really begin with how we see people. It begins with how we see God. Never forget, Pastor Jabin was at our church and he was quoting somebody, but he said something and it stuck with me. He said, the way you see God is the most important thing about you. And I started to think, because my life has been filled with a lot of what ifs, like my mind. I don't know about you, but I, I think sometimes like if I don't do this and they get mad, what if, what if they stop loving me? What if, 
What if, what if they stop coming to church? What if, what if they stop calling me? What if they, what if they stop reaching out to me? What if, what if, and I think I'm asking the wrong what if. I think the right what if is, what if God really does love me the way the Bible says he does? Because if God really does love me, that, then that means all of my sins, past, present, and future, are entirely and absolutely forgiven. That means that no matter what my condition, my position in Christ is secure. As a matter of fact, Jesus told Pilate when he thought he confused condition and position. He told Pilate, he said, or Pilate told Jesus, he said, don't you know I have your life in my hands? And Jesus said, no, no, nobody has my, I, I, I'm giving it up of myself and I'll take it back up of myself. Don't confuse my condition with my position. And, and so often we, can, we confuse our condition with our position. We think that, that the amount of money we have is a statement about how much God loves us. Oh, that nothing could be further from the truth. My condition does not represent my position. My position in Christ is always secure. It means God's smiling over me all the time. You know what that means? That means there's nothing I can do to make him love me any more or any less. That means, do you know what? That means if I totally failed at preaching today and all of y'all went home and said, man, that was terrible. I'm glad Pastor Jamin's going to be back next week. You know what that means? I'm good. Because I've already been loved. I've already been approved. I'm not out here trying to get people to like me. I've already been liked by heaven. Heaven's already smiling over me. Do you know what that does? It doesn't mean that this isn't important. It doesn't mean your thoughts aren't important. It just means that I've discovered something that's more important. And you know what it does? It actually makes me a better preacher because I'm not, I'm not preaching for your approval. I'm preaching from God's approval. I'm, it will change everything about you. How you worship. You won't be in worship like, like trying to impress God. Like, look at me, God. There will be a freedom to your worship. Yeah, you'll still dance and you'll still shout, but there won't be this, this like... Like a constipated, loving Jesus face, like at the same time. Like you, you go into you go into the forest. You've never walked by a tree, and a tree is out there just like ah. And you're like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm trying to bear fruit." It just it just happens. It's the overflow of a relationship. See so many Christians like, ah, what are you doing? I'm trying to love God. Sorry. What are you doing? I'm trying to be holy. It's hard. No, man. You're already loved. Stop striving. Start abiding. Resting. Oh man. I don't have to, I don't have to produce to be loved. Will you stand on your feet with me? This means that, oh man, this means for me and you that God's discipline is always an act of correction and training and not punishment. Listen to me. I, I know some of you are going through some very difficult things right now, but I want you to know this it is not punishment from heaven. Jesus took that. 
If God is allowing anything to happen in your life right now, it's not to punish you. It's for training. It's for discipline. He's not up in heaven just waiting to get at you. He's waiting to, he just, he just desires to be good to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You don't have to say, God, please bless me. No, that's what he does as a dad. My kids don't ever have to come to me and say, Dad, can I have food? Can I eat? Can I get in the fridge? No, they just go get in my fridge. They go empty out my pantry. And then what do I do? I look, I see it's empty, and I go to the grocery store, and I bring it back. Man, is there anybody thankful for that? Come on, throw your hands up in the air. God, we're so grateful. We're grateful that our position is secure. Thank you. Thank you that you have a pace for my life. You have a grace for my life. I give you glory and honor for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for true rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Thank you so much.